Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses and this podcast is just us chatting every Wednesday about the reality of anything and everything property. And given topics of conversation in the last few weeks, one of those being around purchasing limited companies, those eagle-eared listeners will have noted that Simon did make a decision to buy in a limited company but back in episode 135, we had quite a bit of a conversation, semi-debate around the pros and cons of all of those things. So we thought it'd be quite interesting to just talk through, well, I certainly thought it'd be interesting to talk through what led Simon to making the decision in the end and just fleshing that out for all of us. So, so Simon, if you want to just give a little bit more background around your kind of thinking at the time, because I know there's, it was a bit of a a quandary for you, but pleased to hear you made the decision. So just tell us a bit more. So by way of background, I am purchasing a house for rental. So very standard, simple, buy to let. It's a two bed house, which is a little bit different from most of my portfolio, which is, which is, I think, exclusively actually three bed houses. And obviously buying a new property at the moment, need to make a decision, the decision really, as to whether to buy it in personal name or a limited company. All of my existing portfolio is held in personal names. So if I were to buy this in a limited company, it would be my first foray into such activities and such adventures. So I think that was actually part of the reason for for being unsure about that route, because it's not something I've done before. And it would mean setting up a, a new company and getting all of the infrastructure in place around that. So accountants, for example, probably the, the main one for sorting out the, the process around that. But also I hadn't done things like mortgages in a limited company before. And I have heard horror stories around that, both in terms of the the paperwork and the, the costs, so, so fees and, and interest rates. However, when I started actually digging into it and putting together numbers and sort of financial forecasting, the, the two scenarios, that, that was in the end what led me to, to make my decision towards a, a limited company. And really, the, I mean, there, there were lots of financial elements that went into it, but the real deciding factor was Section 24. And we, we mentioned this, oh, I forget now, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, I think. And I, I worked out in my forecast that if interest rates were to go up, as in interest rates that are, are paid on mortgages, not Bank of England interest rate, but the interest rate that's paid on mortgages, if it was to go up to 6%, which is not beyond the realms of possibility, considering it's already over 4% for portfolio borrowing or for limited company borrowing. So if it was to go up to 6%, for properties owned in personal names because of section 24 which is the the change of the law where you can no longer claim all of your mortgage interest as an expense against tax it means that i would be losing money after tax so i would still be be making money before tax but then the amount of tax owed would be more than the profit i'm making from the the rentals so that that really pushed me into to the limited company approach because I think 6% interest rates are quite possibly going to happen in the next few years. 
and I didn't want to add another property into the into the existing collection that might end up losing money. So if this new property is in a limited company, it will still obviously have to pay the higher interest rates if they go up. However, the company can take all of those interest payments as expense against tax. So the the profit will be reduced, but it won't end up going negative due to due to the the, the tax element alone. So I, I am still a little bit unsure about the limited company route. I've already had extra bits of paperwork to sort out and extra processes to sort out, and I'm, I'm still fairly early in the overall setup and purchasing process. But I, I think financially speaking, I couldn't make any other decision. If I was purchasing for cash, so without a mortgage, I think I might have chosen to stick with personal names. And this would be really an avoidance of hassle from my point of view. So I'd be avoiding the the learning curve for a limited company, avoiding paying an accountant a thousand pounds a year to produce a couple of tax returns for me. And and I think that would be, be perfectly okay if if you're not paying mortgage interest on the property. But that's not the situation I'm in and not the, the situation I could be looking at. I, I need a, a mortgage in order to be able to purchase this property. So, so yeah, limited company. That's uh, the way I'm going. Yeah, it's it's a very real scenario and why I think it's quite important to to bring it out to the table and, and, and sort of share it because, as you say, I think 6% is certainly not beyond the realms of imagination to happen in the very near future and uh, just for reference we talk about this well we talk about it on quite a few episodes but definitely on episode 137 where we talk about changes in the rental sector I think this is when we you talked about it most recently so if anyone hadn't listened to that have a listen to hear about the detail and it's, it's quite interesting to hear that because of course that has to be a primary motivator and for those of us that aren't fortunate enough to buy unencumbered properties, i.e. without mortgage, then then it is an issue. And and why would you ever look to to do something which you could knowingly walk into that's going to generate negative negative income or, or you know, cost you money in in, in in real English. You know, we had that situation on one of my properties probably ten years ago, but that was a very short term issue which we've talked about before. So it's quite interesting and, and makes a lot of sense why, why you would do that. I think from my perspective and talking it through with you, that there, there isn't too much different fundamentally f- from buying from a limited company, though you've highlighted a couple of key ones already, which was one was accountancy costs. And you sort of mentioned a, a thousand, a couple of thousand. And I'm smiling wryly thinking, yes, I wish my costs were that low. On the, but different conversation but it is something i'm looking at right now because i believe my accountancy fees are particularly high we'll come back to that actually just on accountancy fees i mean you're running a, a much larger business these days you've got i don't know i think it was 60 odd rooms last time we talked about it if i memory serves me correctly so so that's that's a, a much much bigger property business i'm dealing with a property business that's going to be looking after one simple single bite let. So I would hope that my accountancy fees are a lot less than yours. However, I think that 
the, the sort of the starting rate for accountancy fees is still quite high. And and I mean, I I threw out a thousand pounds, but I mean, it's actually about one thousand two hundred pounds. I think just just over. I've agreed with an accountant, and this is per per year. And I I was curious, and I actually put this question out to a local landlord group, and the the responses that came back were were reasonably close. So I think one thousand or just over a thousand, so eleven hundred, twelve hundred, that sort of thing. So around the figure I'm looking at was suggested to be the the starting value. I think sort of around fifteen hundred was probably the the average sort of response that came back. But there were some that were up around the 2000 mark. And we weren't being super precise. No one was really defining the, the details of their portfolio mm. size or or the company size or whether it's HMOs or simple buy-to-lets or whatever. So so there's always going to be some some variation in there. And and some of them included bookkeeping and some of them didn't include bookkeeping and, and things like that. But but yeah, I, I think if you're if you're starting a limited company with property and you're looking to get an accountant involved, which almost certainly need to, that's the kind of figure you're looking at, sort of around £1,500 a year. Yeah. I so th- it's, it's not cheap. I think that's fair. And I think, you know, if we're going to dig into it a little bit, so you, you've got your accountancy fees now. Would, would you say your numbers are excluding VAT or including VAT? So these these ones are including VAT. Okay. So, yeah, so 1000 to £2,000 seems like a good range. In addition to that, you know, do we know if, for example, the corporation tax returns included? Because so, for example, I know that that's an additional fee for me and that that can be a few hundred pounds. So for me, the, the price I've been quoted is, is actually including simple bookkeeping. So I have to basically I have to do the online recording and accounting software. But then my accountant will, will sort of do everything past that point, sort of categorization and, and putting in appropriate tax details and things. Uh, he will also handle the company return, so the one you have to send to company's house every year, and the annual tax return, so CT600, I think it is, for, for a limited company. So, so that, that, that's basically what it, it entails and, and covers. And... I stated that in, in sort of my question to to the group, but other people obviously some some gave responses with with details and some didn't. So I'm I'm unsure about the other numbers. Mm. But yeah, I, I imagine most will include at least some elements of of the above. But I think it's worth putting out because that is a key difference. Obviously, when you're a personal, when you're filling out your personal tax, it, it, it kind of is just that. But when you've got a company, you've got a corporation tax return. So for me. We also have to include what's called company secretarial services, but that that's because we use them as a registered office. And that also includes filling out a CSO1 form. Don't ask me what that is. I can't remember. But it's it's another form. And we also had company payroll processing. So the directors, myself, my wife, both on company payroll, that has to be done. P11D forms, all part of you know the expenses process. So that all of a sudden suddenly appeared and created more costs. Now, our costing structure, and I won't go into the specifics here, but you know that, that, that is all costed independently from our accountant. So all those fees add up, which is why we have to review them. Yeah, it's a very good point, actually, because there are some things in, in what you've just mentioned, which I have specifically chosen to exclude. 
So I'm not using my accountant as the registrar's office, and I am not running payroll for the time being. So, so yeah, I, I am running a, a simpler setup than, than many people will be, and certainly than, than you are. And, and as we've discussed, obviously, a much, much, much smaller business as well. Yeah. But so, so all of those things come out, and that, that's just on the accountancy. So we've, we've just talked about the accountants, and that's obviously taken up a bit of time. But in terms of my experience of being a limited company, now you've already mentioned the fact that you have different products, mortgage products that, to look at. My experience of working with similar banks is personal guarantees always required now. And that was something that when I first started, my limited company started in the, the back end of 2016. The first couple of mortgages, I don't remember doing that. We might have done it, but it, it wasn't as prevalent. Whereas now there is definitely a more f- forceful introduction from from banks to ensure that should something go belly up with a limited company that they can come to you personally and that's quite a big change and and i guess for for people like you going into a limited company that that's just the way it is it's not a concern but for the you know when we were coming from a place of oh i'll just have it in my limited company and that's in its own little bubble and protected when the bank says well no no, Mr. Investor, if if something goes belly up now, we'll come to your residential property or we'll come to you personally. That could, that can be quite daunting for some people. Yeah, definitely. The idea of a limited company being a, a limitation of liability for, for you as the, the purchaser of an investor, I, I think is very much being broken by, by the, the mortgage setup that's now required in, in most situations. And I, I think that's Fair enough, really, because the alternative would be buying it in personal name. So, of course, buying in personal name, there would be no limited liability there at all. It's direct to the, the person and the individual. So, I I think the limited company is providing other other features, other benefits, and not not one of limited liability, despite its name. Yeah, and and not that I would ever defend a bank, but it, it makes sense if you if you're going to start dishing out tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of pounds you're not you're not going to do it without having some protection in place so i kind of understand it the second element that really does get my goat consistently particularly because i work with kemp well i work with one savings bank kemp reliance and every time we do a mortgage or a further advance i have to fill out the same forms some of them 16 pages long they are always asked for a buy to let property schedule now of course i've got all of these things already in place so that property schedule is simply just an excel sheet which lists out the properties purchase price current mortgage expected valuation rental cut you know the rental income existing percentage rates i think that's pretty much about it so that already exists of course it changes slightly but they ask for a form to be filled out every single time the other thing I was going to mention to you, actually, before I go into that, was that on the forms, so depending on how you structure your limited company, so you may have you, if, if it's just you, that's that's fine. But for a time, obviously, I had myself and my wife because we, we, we kind of split that, split the income, split the dividends and so on. And I think I think I started as 50% shareholders because it just it just made the most sense. But what happened was that when you're not 
you know, the person of significant control or, or you're of less than 75%. It just meant that I had to get hurt every single time. And bear in mind, we were doing a lot of this to, to then get my wife to sign the forms. Now, the silly thing is we still do it because one of the banks just doesn't seem to have accepted that I've, I've redressed it. So I, I actually changed it to, to be a 100% shareholder. So obviously, she still has an interest in it, but obviously won't go into that detail. But I thought, you know, I'll just make it me so that I can just fill out these forms on my own without having to, you know, run around and get additional signatures. But that's also something to bear in mind when you set up the company is, is you know, how much control do you have? What's your shareholding? Because that will have a, that, that will impact on how the banks see you and what, who they want to, to engage with their form filling process. Yeah, I mean, that's something I hadn't even considered that it, that it might cause paperwork issues. And when we, when, when I set the, the company up, I spoke to my wife about it and I said, do you, do you want to be involved? You know, if, if you had had some ownership here, it might might help for for future tax and things. And she said, mm, property? Nah, <laughs> I'll, I'll pass on that, thanks. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, so um, so actually, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice and simple, as it turned out. But it, it, if you'd said, said something else, then it could very much have been accidentally in the same situation you're in and, and making myself a whole heap of extra work. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, that's, that's good that you've, you've managed to clear that hurdle because that, that was, that has been a challenge for me. And to be honest, like I say, even now, even though I've changed the shareholding, I don't think the banks have caught up. They just now say, well, we still want applicant two to fill out, which is a you know real ball ache, to be honest. But the, the, the other element, so apart from the, the plethora of, forms the other one is a business plan and again they typically ask me for the same business plan every time and at the moment it's handwritten i think you can do it on pdf and i tend to say the same thing on everyone and i've tried to obviously save it and resupply but whenever i've done that i said oh no it doesn't have a certain number in on that then they've got a new form that's got one additional question oh my god you know because i mean it generally does take me close to half a day to fill out these forms so that's something else to consider yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I, I haven't, my, my mortgage broker has not pre-warned me of any extra headaches with, with a limited company mortgage. So I'm waiting to see what horrors uh, are going to be revealed through this process. But I certainly wasn't expecting to have to put together a, a business plan. So ho- hopefully that won't, won't come knocking, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But in terms of antiquated mortgage requirements, something that, that's cropped up recently in a, a remortgage I'm doing is that they actually want a wet signature on on this form. So the the, the crazy thing is it's a I know 20 page sort of pr- application proposal. So it's this is where they go through setting out what you're borrowing, the interest rate, warning you that it could be stupidly expensive in the future if mortgage rates go up, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's I know half a dozen pages of different bits and pieces setting out the the information and then there's some sort of legalese about uh, what you're agreeing to and stuff like that and then there's the the signature box and the the signature box just i don't know if this is how it always turns out but in this particular version that i've seen it's ended up on a page entirely on its own the only thing on this page right at the top is the box for me to put in my signature and the date and they want they want a, a as I said a wet signature. Although they don't want it sent through the post, they want it signed with a, a real pen, but then scanned in and emailed to them. And 
my, my mortgage broker, he's not quite sure, but he suggested that I can probably just print, sign and scan the one page with the signature on it, which seems crazy to me considering there is absolutely nothing else on this page <laughs> except the box for the signature. So I mean, what the hell am I signing <laughs> if that's the only page I provide them? Yeah. So, so I, I think what I will actually do is, is probably print out the whole thing, uh, the whole 20 odd pages, sign the sign the page, scan in the whole 20. So, so that it is actually together and it does actually show in the, the complete PDF that this is what I have signed. But I mean, obviously it's a digital document by that point. It can be manipulated and changed and things. I mean, what, what is, well, what is the value in that kind of a signature, which is, Yes, was was a real wet signature with a pen, but has then been digitized. I, I think that's got to be so much less secure than the modern e-signature processes that actually track exactly where you signed it, what internet connection you were on, what time it was, what device you were using, and, and all sorts of other things. And, and some of the really advanced ones even sort of take photos of you at, at the computer and things like that to record against it. Mm. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's crazy from the point of view of the banks but hey hey well it's i think their processes just take it takes so long i mean that you know we could talk about this for i'll ask i could certainly talk stroke moan about this for, for days on end the fact that i give them my name my address you know my national insurance number all of these details 10 times a year and i just think all you need to do is just have a very simple you know software front end and you've captured my details. The only time I should need to, to do anything is if it's changed. You've already got it. It's not only is it wasting both our times, it's, you know, the use of paper as well, because they always want it. Oh, I mean, it's just crazy. But we, we could digress on that for a long time. But uh, it, I just hope that they catch up to the digitized world soon. But uh, anyway, as a limited company, my, my understanding is that the portfolio document is and the, the business plan is typically around if, if you're a portfolio landlord which which you should be i guess it it may just be that if you're with a a, a standard buy to let bank they may be less less interested in seeing your business plan versus with me where it's you know there's several properties and and their hmo properties so i suppose they they want to see some sort of plan there so hopefully you'll you'll escape that well, in, in some probably many months when the process actually works its way through, I'll, uh, I'll report back. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, be good to know whether you get let off or if they put you through the pain that I have to go through. I, I mean, they're, they're the key things from my side. And obviously, you, you'll have only just created the bank, the sorry, the limited company. So in terms of bank statements, they'll just have to be referring to what you've currently got for your, for your buy-to-lets, your existing buy-to-lets. Yeah, I don't know what sort of things they're going to insist on from from that in terms of the the mortgage company evidence, but the the sort of bank account setup process even at that point they were asking for all sorts of things. So obviously they it was a business bank account setting it up. I was using um, Starling as it happens, so it's supposed to be a, a very simple online process or on app process. And it, it was relatively straightforward. The, the initial bit, you sort of prove your ID, give them, upload some documents for, for ID proof and take a photo of yourself and, and things like this. And, and that's straightforward. But then 
because I was opening a business bank account, they asked, why? What is this business? And you, you say, well, it's a new business and it's being set up to buy investment property. And then suddenly they want a whole heap of extra details. They want to know which property you're buying and which mortgage you're, you, you've got or your mortgage broker details, your solicitor details. Have you got any documentation from your solicitor yet to prove that you're buying it? And how are you going to pay for it? Do you have the, the, the funds for the deposit? Oh, and can you prove that you've got the funds for the deposit? And uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was a process I wasn't expecting to be quite so thorough, but uh, it was a little bit frustrating along the way as well, because some of the, the funds that I'm going to be using for the deposit are in a savings account, for which I only get an annual statement. And it just happens that the last annual statement was now nine months ago or something. So they asked for a statement within the last couple of months. I was like, mm, actually, don't have one of those. <laughs> uh, so I said, can I, can I take a screenshot of my online banking and send you that? I said, no, no, it has to be a PDF statement. Uh, okay. So in the end, I, I found an option to download recent transactions as a PDF. It's not, not an official statement but it's a PDF document and it's got transactions in it. And uh, thankfully they accepted that. But it's just all extra hoops and things and hurdles to, to get over that I wasn't, I mean, those ones I wasn't particularly expecting. Some I am expecting in, in this limited company process. But yeah, there's lots of extra hassle. Yeah. If I hadn't, hadn't gone limited with a company route, I, I would have saved hours of my life. <laughs> well, I mean, you used the word there, and I, I was going to sort of summarise this by saying that that is the challenge: is that we do have additional hoops to jump through as as we are purchasing through limited companies. And I wish we could then say, well, once you've done it once, it then gets easier. But my experience is, unfortunately, that it doesn't. And, and the only other thing to to add to that that I you was thinking about, as you said that as well, was that all of the forms that I do always ask for my accountant's details and my accountant's qualifications. For, for these so for some reason they need to know that your accountant has accountancy qualifications when dealing with your business as well as providing the annual accounts obviously you won't have any at this juncture but you know once that happens you know i've been asked for the last one year's accounts two years accounts and three years accounts it just it varies depending on banks so in summary there are lots of things to think about when you're buying in a limited company but Obviously, we, we get the benefit of being able to take the, the mortgage interest from the, rev, the income, for now at least. And that, that, before I do wrap up, that was my last question. So one of the fears for you was that it could happen that they apply the same rules to limited company. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that doesn't happen at any time in the near future or, or at all. But what was it simply just that the numbers meant that you, you couldn't even entertain that fear any further yeah pretty much i mean given my track record of of buying crypto at the peak and starting to to invest in stocks and shares last year again pretty much at the peak and it's now in the doldrums i am fully expecting the the new new government to come in and announce that they are going to apply a, a section 24 alike to limited companies that are investing in property so we, we, we shall wait and see but as it stands right now i can't see any other route forwards really for, for me so i have to take the gamble good and uh, take the gamble we must in certain situations and we do hope you've enjoyed the show if you've listened this far i'm sure you have 
If so, do leave us a rating or review. Reach out to us at BIZ of Property on Twitter or via thebusinessofproperty.com. Until next week. <laughs>